morning. And Jesus said, Again it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share the master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone knows who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to be focused on Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, as it's often called, which Lee read for us just a few minutes ago. Um, If you had the privilege of being raised in the church, then at some point a Sunday school teacher probably said to you, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Yeah, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, and, And it's really important for us when we see these sorts of parables to seek out 
that heavenly meaning, that meaning that God has for us in our lives. And that's what we're going to get into today, um, what it means to know that we are God's servants and we are stewards of all that God gives to us, a God who loves us so much that he blesses us with talents. Well, I want to start there with love. Um, whenever I do premarital counseling with couples, I, I, always, uh, I always use the five love languages by Gary Chapman. Some of you, um, well, I've married a few of you that are in here, but some of you uh, have probably read this on your own. You've probably looked at this with your spouse, maybe when you did premarital counseling. But the thing I love about the five love languages is it speaks of the way in which we give and the way in which we receive love. And Chapman says we give and receive love uh, in one of these five ways primarily. All right, so I'm just going to quick run through them with, for a second. First one is physical touch. The second one is receiving gifts. The third one is acts of service. Fourth one is words of affirmation. Fifth one is quality time. All right, so, so physical touch, um, if this is your love language, this is a person, um, you can identify it in somebody else as well, uh, the person who always, when, they come, when you come up and shake their hand, they need to also pat you on the shoulder. Right, the person who always kind of says, you know, bring it in, let's go, hug it out, come on, bring it in. Right, that's a physical touch person. All right. Uh, second one, receiving gifts. Um, and I always am quick to note this, and those who have this gift know it. It's not just diamonds and sports cars. All right. If your love language is receiving gifts, it can be anything. It can be a stick of gum or a flower. All right. But receiving something from someone else lets them know um, that they are loved. Third one, acts of service, just what it sounds like. Doing something for that person, right? Very meaningful. Fourth one, words of affirmation. Right. Words of affirmation is somebody that needs to hear the words, I love you, or needs to hear the words, I care for you. They need to hear those words because the words themselves spoken out loud matter. Uh, and then the last one is quality time. And anyone who has this gift, if this is the way that they give and receive love, uh, they will be quick to say it's not just quality time, it's also quantity time, right? I don't want 10 good minutes, I want 10 good hours, all right? Those five, I want you to just quick in your mind, I want you to think of what one you are in particular. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share this with everybody. What is your primary love language? All right, so you're thinking about what you are. Um, a couple of things with this. This isn't just about married love. This actually was written for couples, but, but this idea of giving and sharing love in these love languages works in all of our relationships, that works in all of our relationships. Obviously, it's different in relationships like between coworkers. It's different in relationships with neighbors. But it works as you understand somebody else's love language. You understand the way that they primarily understand that they are cared for and loved. And, and what we learn is that people give and receive love in all five. All right? Now, for me, it's words of affirmation. That's my primary love language, words of affirmation. But mine's unique in that when I hear words of affirmation, I don't... I, I would say I abhor uh, just mindless flattery. Right? I hate that. Nothing gets me more angry than just that kind of mindless thing that we say to each other. I, when you give me the right word, like growing up playing sports, the right coach who saw that I did something well and said to me, hey, good job on that. I need more of it. That got me going. That sent me the extra mile for that coach. Right? It's the right word spoken by the right person in the right situation. The right word spoken by the right person in the right situation. Now, even if you're not words of affirmation, we all give and receive love in each one of them. And as we're deciphering the heavenly meaning of our earthly story, we can start right there with the words that Jesus speaks. 
the words of affirmation that come from our God, the words that sound like this, well done, good and faithful servant. They're words of affirmation spoken by the right person. They're the right words. And they're spoken in the right situation. Well done, good and faithful servant. When Jesus is telling this parable, he's letting us know that this parable, this earthly story, has a heavenly meaning for each one of us that we need to decipher. And, and again, something else you should know about parables is that we never get too deep into the details of a parable. It is, at its core, just a story. So we don't have to worry about applying each one of the details and saying, well, what's that mean? Instead, we take that step back to understand the meaning. So let's look at the earthly story. It begins with the relationship that the master has with the servants and that the servants have with the master. Right? It begins with the relationship, with the knowledge of who that master is. Right? Because the master, who is unique, entrusts each of his servants with his goods, right? Now, now understand this. The master entrusts the servants with his goods. That's what the story tells us, which means that the master knows that these servants are on some level trustworthy. The master likely has many servants, but it's only these three that he chose. It's these three that he called out and gave them these unique gifts, these unique goods. And what the master intends is that these faithful servants will use the gifts for their intended purposes. The master knows the servants. And the master doesn't say to any one of the servants, hey, I want you to use these in this specific way. The master trusts the servants. The master has a relationship with the servants. And so the master knows. The master, in giving these goods, in giving these talents, says, I want you to use them as you. I'm entrusting you. And I'm entrusting you because of who you are. The servants know their master. The servants have an impression of what their master is like. And I want to stop there with the, with the story, and I want to look at the application for a second. I want to do this as we go throughout the story. I want to just talk about the story and then, and then apply it at the end. Instead, I want to see as we go along. First of all, who's the master in the story? This isn't a trick. I'm actually asking you. Who's the master in the story? God, right? Or Jesus. Yeah, the first question the preacher is going to ask you, the answer is always Jesus. All right? Yeah, so the master in the story is God himself. Now, remember I said don't overapply the details. Otherwise, you have to answer the question, where, where does God go on a journey? It's just a story. The master is God himself. Who are the servants? Us. His people. Right? His people. So then we get into those deeper questions like, like, what is our relationship with God? And how do we view God? We get into deeper questions, even harder than these, like, how does God view you? And then one more, and I think this is the hardest one for us to grasp, but I think it's the important question. How do you think that God views you? What do you think God thinks about you? Do you understand what I'm asking you? What do you think God thinks about you? How do you view the way that God cares for you? And when you think about the answer to that question, you begin to understand the role that the servants play. You begin to understand the actions that the, the servants do the things that they do in this story because there we start to see the way and the reasons why they behave the way they do it's, it's based on that question 
what do you think or how do you think God views you? Keep that question in your mind. The servants act according to their relationship with God. The servants act based on how they view him and how they believe that he views them. The, the last servant, the one who has the harsh condemnation that's spoken to him, that last servant views his master as a hard man. He views his master and sees the things that he possesses and sees his power and he's afraid of the master. He believes that that master is somehow trying to trick him, trying to deceive him. Somehow that master is giving him something and he figures his master doesn't really trust him with it anyway and he's afraid. He's afraid because he knows that the master is stronger and more powerful. He knows that the master possesses all these things and he sees the ways that the master behaves or he thinks he does. He acts in fear. He buries his talent in the ground. The other two behave quite differently, don't they? You see, the other two see their master rightly. They know that their master is powerful. They know that their master possesses all sorts of goods. They know that their master is, is in fact, supreme to them. They know that their master is over them. But here's the most important thing. Because they view him this way, they are overwhelmed when their master chooses them. They are overwhelmed when their master looks on them and says, you, my servant, I want to give you these goods, and I want you to use them as you would use them. I want you to be entrusted with these. I want you to allow these to become you. They're overwhelmed and motivated by their master's choosing. They say something like this, he's entrusted me with these goods. I want to show him that his trust is well-founded. I want to prove him right. Now let's apply that for a second. Kate and I had a friend, a couple that we were friends with in Arizona. We used to, uh, we used to go out to dinner with them sometime. Both of us had children that were really little, and so we'd get one babysitter with just the two kids, and, and we could go out. And I, I remember asking Eric one time, I said, hey, um, he was a quality engineer with a company that made high-end stereo component parts and speakers. And I asked him one, hey, how, how's work this week? He's like, oh, it was a crazy week. What do you mean? Well, uh, I discovered that, that we, were, we actually had a, a design flaw in our speakers. And, and the speakers themselves were actually defective. They're faulty because of it. And as I, I discovered this, I went to my boss and I told my boss, like, hey, look, this is what's happening. Our products are being made with this fault as part of them. We, we, we should correct this. So my boss looked at me and said, well, if you're, if you're confident, if you're sure, you know, you have the power to shut down production. And so you, we're like in our 20s, right? And he's like, I have the power to shut down production for my entire company. If the, if the production stops, the company's not making money. And he said, my boss tells me this, and I'm really nervous. He's like, I went back to my office, I'm thinking, I better be right. I better be sure about this. And he checked it out, he said, I'm, I'm sure. And he made the decision to shut down the line. And he was right. He was right. He realized, he realized the great responsibility that had been entrusted to him. And he made sure that he was doing his job to the best of his ability. And as a result, he helped his company. You see, that's, that's what those first two servants do. The first servant, the, the last servant in the story, the one who receives the condemnation, he lives his life thinking that at any moment, the master is going to destroy him. 
He lives his life thinking at any moment the master is going to smash him down and beat him. He assumes that at any moment the master is just watching over him, seeking ways and reasons to destroy him. Many people view God the same way. Many people view God in this way. Many people think that, that God is just waiting, looking, watching, watching over their every move, seeking for one moment when they step out of line so that he can smash them down, so he can destroy them, so he can send them to hell. People who view God this way think it would be better off if they were never chosen. Think it would be better off if they had never known about God in the first place. They live crippled by fear. The second two servants demonstrate a different type of person. Ones who understand the power that their master has. And yet ones who live contentedly aware and overwhelmingly awed that their master would entrust to them this responsibility. That they understand what God has done to choose them. You see, that's, I believe, brothers and sisters, who we are. That's who I believe you are. That you are someone who rightly views God, who sees that God is powerful, that God is all-powerful, who sees that God possesses all things, that all things in this world are his, and yet understands that he has chosen you. And so you have confidence in the words of Scripture, the confidence that say you are not your own, but you are bought at a price. And you know what that price is. It's the price of the life of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would pay for you to be his own. That he would pay with his precious blood shed on the cross. That you would be his own. That you would be chosen and selected and that you would know it. And so that you wouldn't live your life saying, oh, I have to and I'm afraid. But instead you would say, I've been set free by Jesus and I get to serve him. I'm enabled because my master has empowered me. Because my master has chosen me. These people rightly view God as looking for any reason at all to shower his love on you. For any reason at all to save people. In fact, view God rightly enough to know that he wants to save all people, not just some. And if you're not that type of person, if you don't know that truth, I want to invite you today to hear it again. I want to invite you to hear that truth of what God has done for you. I want want to invite you to know that God loves you infinitely, not so that he can make you somebody else, but so that washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you might live free, that you might know that you are set free by Jesus Christ to do and be all that he's calling you to be. And to know that in that calling, you can be overwhelmingly awed as you see his love demonstrated to you. See, those are the people who know that one day we will get to hear words from our God, words of affirmation that say, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, brothers and sisters, God wants to show us his love. He wants us to know that we are loved, and he wants us to know it in our language so that we can live in love as good and faithful servants. It's just about the end of the church year. 
In fact, next Sunday is the final Sunday of the church year. And then in, in a couple of weeks, we'll be at the end of our calendar year. And the end of the year is always a time for us to do a little self-evaluation. And I want to urge you to do that. I want to urge you to do a little reflection on the living it out part of your faith. How are you doing as a steward? How are you living in a relationship with your God? How do you view him and what he has given to you? Is it a burden? Do you feel like you're gripped by fear? Or are you set free in awe that the master has chosen you, made you who you are? Spend some time with it. Spend some time asking questions of yourself. And, and I want to encourage you one more thing is if you have kids, let them in on the process. Let them see you evaluate yourself as a steward. As a steward, ask yourself, how much of my time and my talent am I spending on my vocation, on my calling, whether it be as a, as a janitor or as a teacher, whether it be as a, as a medical transcriptionist or a salesperson, whatever it is that you're called to do, are you being a good worker? How much of your time and your talent are you expending that way? How much of your time and your talent are you expending on your family? How much of your time and your talent are you expending on recreation? Don't get me wrong, recreation is important. How much of your treasure are you spending on things that are worthwhile and lasting? And how much are you spending on things that are fleeting? Are you investing all of it, all that God has given to you? Are you investing it for kingdom purposes, for things that have everlasting significance? Or do you have no plans? As you spend time evaluating those questions, what you're really doing is you're saying, what do I believe about my calling as a steward? What do I believe about what God is calling me to do as I am good and faithful in the ways that he has chosen me? For some of you, there are parts of your life that are going great. Hopefully for most of you, there are parts of your life that are going great. But probably for all of us, there are places where we need to tweak, places where we need to reevaluate. Maybe our commitment to use our time and talents to serve someplace. Maybe the way that we allocate our treasure. Maybe, maybe for you, it's making a year-end gift. Whatever it is, understand that it's personal. You see, the, the parable tells us that the master knew his servants and entrusted to each one as he had ability. God still does that. He knows each one of us uniquely, for he has called us by name. We are his, chosen by the master, chosen by our all-powerful God to know his blessing on our lives and to know that we are stewarding all that he has given to us. And so the scriptures tell us, that the master is coming and that all will be called to account for what he's given us now understand that's not meant to grip you with fear instead it's meant to enable you to view your time as short to live your life on purpose to live your life with meaning to go about this in in overwhelming awe and wonder that says god has chosen me and i want to prove him faithful at his word at the end of the day, I want to hear. At the end of my life, I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Brothers and sisters, good and faithful servants, live 
in the love of the master. For the glory of Jesus Christ, amen.